Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone, to the Osmo Daily Fantasy Football Newsroom, where I, your host, Kyle Dvorak, find me on Twitter, at KyleTweetsHere, take you through yesterday's training camp news, give you that fantasy spin, show you how to make action of it as we head into week one, wrap up those final drafts, nail those late round picks, because that's really what this new show is all about. For the most part, we're not getting these big injury swings, although Leonard Fournette would beg to differ after getting cut. For the most part, this is about finding small edges at the end of your fantasy rounds, and of course, breaking down the once a week, once every few days, big bites of news. And we have, I would argue, a handful of big bites of news coming up on this show. But first, I need to remind you to go to Osmo.com forward slash fantasy dash football. That's where you get our draft kit. In that draft kit, you get a ton of awesome stuff. You get Osmo's fantasy football rankings done by Alex Osmo Baker, the world's number one DFS player. You get the draft wingman tool, which helps you build optimal season long and best ball lineups, our breakout sleepers and bus table. And of course, all of this is for just $29.95. Plus you get a $35 credit if you're a new user at the FFPC, you are leaving money on the table without getting this draft kit, plus you get all the awesome tools that we have at Osmo.com. So check that out, Osmo.com forward slash fantasy dash football. Now let's get into the news. Yesterday was a huge day in terms of we had a ton of players cut. Teams were required by 4 p.m. on Saturday to cut down their roster to the 53-man norm. So now we are at our final resting place as we head into week one. Big news coming out of Raiders camp. The Raiders traded Lynn Bowden Jr. and released Theo Riddick. Let's start with the trade. They trade Lynn Bowden, their third round running back is what they listed him at, to the Miami Dolphins. I believe it was Bowden and a sixth round pick for a fourth round pick. They acquired Bowden for a third. That means in the course of a summer, they paid, I believe, like a million dollar or so signing bonus to Lynn Bowden, and then they flipped that third round pick plus a sixth round pick into a fourth round pick in the next year. So, you know, I get it. If he wasn't going to work out for the team, he wasn't going to work out. That's the classic sunk cost fallacy. If you can get something for an asset that has no value to you, don't hang on to that cost. But I think a one, one off season, one truncated, almost non-existent off season for a player who was like a wildcat quarterback, converted wide receiver, converted running back, that's not enough to really know what his value could be to your team. So I don't know. Maybe this is just, and this has nothing to do with fantasy. This is just my real life NFL spin. It seems so quick to give up on a player for a team that is largely in a rebuild mode. This isn't a team that is competing with the Chiefs this year in their own division. So for me, I think you need to to wait it out. See what you can get out of Lynn Bowden on your own team before shipping him off to Miami for a lesser cost. But in terms of what this does for the backfield, plus the release of Theo Riddick, who they picked up in training camp, 
The big impediment for Josh Jacobs really having a massive breakout in 2020 was that receiving role. There were so many signs that they didn't want to get him involved as a passer. I mean, they said they did, but everything their actions said was the opposite. They draft Lynn Bowden. Not only that, but they draft a handful of receivers who are probably, I mean, if you play for Derek Carr, you're almost certainly going to be used in that short to intermediate range. Guys like Bryce Edwards, who profiles as a short X or a big slot receiver, and guys like Henry Ruggs, who Ruggs, a traditional deep threat, would probably be used as a screen type of guy who gets the ball short and then makes the big plays afterwards. So for me, it was very clear, plus the signing of Theo Riddick, the extension to Jalen Richard, that this is a team that didn't want to get Josh Jacobs the ball out of the backfield, or at least was preparing to not have to do so. Now they've kind of walked those back with the trade of Bowden with the release of Theo Riddick. His big barrier will still be Jalen Richard, who they extended last year after he caught 38 balls, and he was splitting that role largely with DeAndre Washington. In 2018, he catches 68 passes, goes over 600 yards through the air. I mean, he was actually a really impressive player in terms of the role he played in 2018. He saw that scaled back a bit, but they extend him, so that that leads me to believe that they probably want to keep him in that role, and he held... Josh Jacobs to just 20 catches for 166 yards last year. Jacobs was noted as an impressive pass catcher coming out of Alabama, but we didn't see that in 2019. Now the barriers to entry for him catching passes are crumbling and crumbling. He's a guy that many people have been taking in the first round of drafts. I probably wasn't on him at that cost. Now with these barriers falling, I'm actually more and more interested in Josh Jacobs because we know he has the talent as a rusher. We saw how prolific he was as a rusher last year on a team that didn't really have much threats that defenses had to focus on outside of Jacobs. So for me, Josh Jacobs is a guy that I'm starting to adjust to the cost you have to pay for him now. Moving on, the Seahawks placed running back Rashad Penny on reserve slash pup list. Penny will miss at least the first six weeks of the year while recovering from a particularly brutal ACL injury that he suffered toward the end of last year. This, much like Josh Jacobs, clears a path for Chris Carson to get more catches out of the backfield, and it clears a path for Carlos Hyde to be the direct backup, interestingly. Carson set a career mark in basically all receiving categories last year with 37 catches for 266 yards and two touchdowns. He was almost a non-factor before last year as a receiver out of the backfield. Now we see a little bit more of that juice to his game. He's basically just discount Josh Jacobs. I actually don't see why his cost is so late. I get I get the hype around Josh Jacobs. I just don't get the lack of hype around Chris Carson. He goes towards the end of a tier of players like David Johnson, James Conner, Todd Gurley, David Montgomery, if he's healthy, his ADP has been falling a bit though, but it does appear he might be on track to play week one. I don't get why he isn't at the top of that tier. He clearly has the rushing prowess. We don't have injury concerns with him like we do with Todd Gurley's rusty old knees, like we do with James Conner never playing a full season in the NFL. And he probably plays on the best offense out of all those players I just named for running backs and overall, maybe even for scoring. It's it's an offense with Russell Wilson. I mean, of course, they're going to score a lot of points. So for me, he's a guy that I am taking ahead of cost right now and ahead of the tier of running backs he's in specifically. I'm not typically targeting running backs in that range, but if I start with, you know, two or three high-end receivers and he makes it to the end of the third or the beginning of the fourth, he's a guy that I'm all over in that range. The next one, Adrian Peterson was released. We talked about that, I believe, on yesterday's episode. So you can see the Washington implications on yesterday's episode, but now he signs with the Lions after being released. This was a quick turnaround for Peterson. That's not surprising. He was probably one of the premium running backs left on the market, along with a guy like Devonta Freeman, who by by all accounts is just asking for way too much money. Apparently that has been the holdup for every team he's talked to, is that he just wants to get more money than they're willing to pay him as essentially a backup running back at this point. Peterson just wants to keep playing football, apparently. Signs with the Lions, and the Lions are a team that has repeatedly stifled their young running backs with 
older running backs or just with these kind of replacement level grinders. LeGarrette Blunt, CJ Anderson, Bo Scarborough, Wes Hill have all gotten run at times on this team. Typically, while Carrion Johnson has been healthy, I think West Hill maybe was not uh, was not playing while Carrion Johnson was healthy. But the rest of those guys actually at times split carries with Carrion Johnson, and not only does that make it concerning for DeAndre Swift, but it's also just concerning that DeAndre Swift might not be healthy. Bo Scarborough right now, I believe, dealing with an undisclosed injury. Not sure if he'll be ready for Week One, so maybe Peterson is just a depth signing. But we've seen throughout his career, kind of like Frank Gore, when teams sign Adrian Peterson, even late in his career they use Adrian Peterson. So I am concerned for DeAndre Swift's workload early in the season if he's even healthy. This could be a signing that indicates he's not healthy. That knee injury, he's supposed to be ready for week one, but I'm not so sure about that now. DeAndre Swift, I'm just too too much risk for me with DeAndre Swift going and say the fifth or sixth round. He's a guy that he fell to the seventh, the eighth. I love the upside. I get Miles Sanders vibes from him where he is so dynamic both as a rusher and a pass catcher that I could see him breaking out late into the season like we saw with Miles Sanders not really getting the full workload until Jordan Howard kind of got pushed out of the picture. But Adrian Peterson is going to play that Jordan Howard role in this dichotomy, and he might not even give up that role. Really, the only reason we saw Jordan Howard get out of the picture is because of injuries. If Peterson stays healthy, he could hold a role all season along with Carrion Johnson, really relegating DeAndre Swift to a third down role for much of, if not all, of his rookie season. You're just paying so much right now for an upside that I love, but a floor that is just too low for me to buy in in the middle of the single-digit rounds. Next bite of news we have, Dolphins wide receiver Preston Williams appears to be ready for week one. Williams is recovering from an ACL injury, but he suffered it in the middle of last season. That puts his timetable comfortably ahead of week one. And in the first eight games of last season, William posted a 32 catch for 428 yard and three touchdown line. He was clearly Miami's leading receiver by all volume metrics before the injury. His presence knocks the projection of Devontae Adams very clearly and almost nuked in last season the presence of Mike Gusecki. Mike Gusecki was a guy who did not break out until after Preston Williams went down. So for me, there's a bit of concern around Mike Gusecki. Maybe I knock him below guys like TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, who I have all in this big tier of breakout tight ends that I love. But now knowing that Preston Williams is going to be full tilt for week one and seeing what he did to these guys in the first half of the season, how much he relegated Mike Gusecki, I'll take TJ Hawkinson over Gasecki at their current prices. And Devontae Parker, I still think Devontae Parker looks like a big alpha receiver on a team that is going to be throwing the ball a lot, but maybe I'm taking a guy like DJ Chark ahead of him, a guy like DK Metcalf ahead of him now. Even if Jarvis Landry or Tyler Boyd could be their number one receivers. They were their number one receivers last year, and their offenses both project to improve. So for me, Devontae Parker gets a small knock. Mike Gusecki probably falls to the bottom of the tier of breakout tight ends, or at least goes back to the middle where I was kind of optimistic about him going into the season. Now there's at least a, a probably a lower floor for him. Next piece of news. I'm not sure how much this is just coach speak, or I guess in this case, GM speak and how much it is real, but Jaguars GM David Caldwell said that the timing of the Leonard Fournette release coincided with James Robinson's excellent training camp, saying that they basically saw what they wanted from James Robinson to know that they had the running back depth, that they had the running backs they needed on their roster to let go of Leonard Fournette, who is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. With Ryquel Armstead currently back for the second time on the reserve COVID list, Robinson and Exigbo are set to open the year, splitting the rushing work for Jacksonville, Chris Thompson likely getting the bulk of the receiving work out of the backfield. Ozigbo the incumbent, likely starts the season as the pure starter, but he didn't get really, I don't think he got a single carry last year until week 17. He's not a guy, I mean, that gives him nine more carries than Jane Robinson has in his NFL career being a rookie. It's not like they committed to Ozigbo. He's 
hardly the incumbent. He's the incumbent really by name only, and I guess he has a bit more of off-season work getting last year's training camp as opposed to this year, which isn't nearly the same training camp as it was in years past. So Robinson, yeah, I think you project him to open up as the 1B or even just the 2 in a backfield by committee in Jacksonville. But if I'm looking at pure talent, one of these guys was a workhorse in college and the other one was Divino Zigbo. Robinson at the FCS school, Illinois State, in his senior season, carried the ball 364 times for over 1,900 yards and scored 18 times. I know it's the FCS, but when you pummel your opponents into submission that badly, it shows to me that you're at least capable of stepping up to the next level. I believe if we had seen him play at a Big Ten school, he would have been productive as well. Not 1,900 yards and 364 carries, but he would have been productive given how much better he was than his competition at the FCS level. Ozigbo, on the other hand, the exact opposite. Never even topped 200 carries at Nebraska, a guy who was not awfully impressive in college, although he was an impressive pass catcher. So maybe that's his role. He serves as a player who you can either run or throw the ball with, whereas Chris Thompson, a guy you're not really going to run the ball with Chris Thompson, his role is clearly solidified as specifically a pass catcher. So maybe Ozigbo gives you that tactical ability, but as a pure rusher, James Robinson is the better back in my opinion. He's a guy that I think you can pick up in the final rounds of best ball drafts, and you have to have an eye on him on the waiver wire to see how his week one shakes out. If he splits carries with Ozigbo in week one, I think he will end up taking over the backfield in short order. So James Robinson, a guy to watch out for heading into week one. Last piece of news, Aaron Rodgers said that Marquez Valdez-Scantling was the receiver he was, quote, most impressed, quote, with during training camp. Multiple reports have come out saying MBS has had a pretty solid training camp, but he has had a more quiet two years in the NFL than one impressive training camp, and he didn't really make much of a name for himself in college either. Played two years, transferred, finished his final two years at USF, never tops even 900 yards, and he just really didn't show anything at the college level that should have gotten you excited to see him at the NFL level. A below-average college dominator, basically the share of passing output that he controlled as a receiver, a miserable college target share, 13.1% of the targets in his final college season. That is at the 11th percentile, and that was at USF. He wasn't doing this at a big school. It's not like when you look at a guy like Henry Ruggs, when he posts lower dominator lower target share numbers, he was facing off against maybe two to three other first or future first round picks at Alabama. At USF, Marcus Valdez-Scantling should have been the guy. He doesn't break out till nearly the age of 23, puts him in the fourth percentile. That is many standard deviations below average to a point where you really have to be concerned with the long-term viability of Marquez Valdez-Scantling being a starting receiver. And then on the other hand, you kind of get the opposite story with a guy like Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard in his final two college seasons, 941 yards and 1,000 yards before the age of 22. That means he had two better seasons in college than Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and both of those occurred at a younger age than Marquez Valdez-Scantling's best season, and he was even productive at the age of 19. That gives him an impressive 19.7 71st percentile breakout age per player profiler, also had a better college dominator, controlled just about a third of the passing output, and his athleticism, he's not bad. He's 6'3", 225, and runs a 4'5'5". That's still pretty impressive. It's not quite Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is 6'4", and runs a 4'3'7". Maybe that's why you love Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and he showed that off in college. That was his one biggest attribute, was a 16.6 yards per reception. He made a lot of splash plays in college, but just couldn't accumulate them at a rate that was really impressive. So he's long, he's fast, and maybe that's why... Green Bay wants him to be their number two, but if I'm betting on anyone, I will take Alan Lazard, who quietly has also had an impressive training camp. Multiple beat reporters saying he has looked like the best receiver 
over Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but I think the team wants Marquez Valdez-Scantling to be the guy. They invested a fifth-round pick into him as opposed to Alan Lazard, who I believe they picked up off like the Jags practice squad. So for me, I'm still looking at Alan Lazard, but if he comes out and he doesn't get a ton of snaps in week one, that's the point where you have to see that the coaches are going to do what the coaches are going to do and pivot to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But for me right now, I am still pegging Alan Lazard to be the better pick opposite Devontae Adams. The reports in training camp have been close enough between these two where we've seen at times Alan Lazard is pegged as the two. Right now, it seems like maybe MVS has the edge, but right now the reports are close enough that I'm still going to fall back on our prior knowledge of Alan Lazard almost certainly being the more talented pure receiver. So Alan Lazard, undoubtedly my guy in the Green Bay receiving room. That is going to do it for the Osmo Daily Fantasy Football Newsroom. Tune back in tomorrow for more news heading into week one. I have been your host, Kyle Dvorak. Find me on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. And of course, go to Osmo.com forward slash fantasy dash football. Get access to our draft kit and all the awesome stuff that comes with it. We'll catch you tomorrow.